I would love it if you have a, a Bible this morning, if you turn to John chapter 16. If you're looking at the uh, Bibles underneath the seats this morning, that's on page 600 or 765. And you can look there. The series that we're discussing, including what Michael did last week in talking about the kingdom, is all about anchor points. Metaphorically, it's, a, it's like the wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, the rising sea around us is boiling. And what is going to keep us upright and stable? What's going to prevent us from capsizing in such perilous moments? And of course, for you personally, maybe things aren't all that bad. But you're nonetheless, maybe like me, just a little weary of what we've now been facing since March. How can we best respond to this? For some of us, I think it's like living in Vancouver or living like in Seattle, where it rains three and a half meters a year, where the skies are gray 10 months of the year. People on the West Coast suffer from what's known as SAD, seasonal affective disorder. They just get tired of the rain. They get tired of the gray skies. There are times when people just get weary of all of that. So I think what we're experiencing is maybe not sad, but instead CAD, COVID affective disorder. And I think I'm going to copyright that. Somebody's going to use that and I probably can make some money because they're going to use it after I do. So it's copyrighted. You say it once in public, it's copyrighted. There you go. CAD, COVID affective disorder. The painfulness of the U.S. election for those of us interested in, in such things that are going on south of the border certainly affects moods. What's happening here, our economy, it affects moods. COVID affects moods. But brothers and sisters, we're not exactly in the same circumstances as others around us. And that's because of our Trinitarian God. It's, it's because of the things that God has made known to us. And thank God that he has. We have a chance to actually see the bigger picture. God is not remote. God is not distant. But instead is active. He's doing things in our world. In fact, he's even doing things at this time through the church. And it might seem like we're, you know, we're just not functioning the way we always do. But there's just no reason why the church can't do even grander things. Because God continues to work among us. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is always going to be good for those of us who are in the Lord. Paul does say all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And it's very possible he's, that God is going to do wonderful things through this whole, cir whole circumstance. It doesn't mean everything for us is going to be perfect. But like we sometimes say, we can take sour lemons and out of those, we can make lemonade. The Lord can make lemonade out of sour lemons for sure. And we can just end up in a, in a wonderful place even through all of this. And one of the reasons that we can do that is what we're talking about this morning. And it's because of one of the two or three greatest gifts that God has given the church. And that is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. I want us to take a little exam here this morning, okay? In the Christian calendar, we remember each year certain holidays, certain key events. 
And I, I just want to ask you what these are, and you're going to know immediately, okay? So what is the date, or what's the, the day that we remember when it comes to the incarnation? There's a, a certain day that happens, a certain government holiday even that happens based on the fact that Jesus came into the world. What's the name of that, ladies and gentlemen? Christmas. Yes, it's Christmas, okay? That represents for us, or we remember on that day, the incarnation. Now, what about the crucifixion? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ happens on a certain good day, we would say. What's that day? Good Friday is the day that we remember the crucifixion. And then there's this day that happens very immediately after Good Friday where we think about the resurrection, and that day is known as Easter. Now, let's talk about the day on which the Holy Spirit comes into the world. Uh, There was a Jewish holiday on which that happened, but what is the day that we all know for the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world? Where do we commemorate that, and is this a public holiday as well? Well, it was the Jewish holiday, Pentecost. Do Do we have a public holiday for this now ourselves? No, we don't. Now, it does turn out, actually... Ryan, Jonathan, you're right about it being Pentecost because we still call that Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. But the fact is, the church never made out of the coming of the Holy Spirit into the lives of the church a special day as it did days like Christmas or Good Friday or Easter. And so it's not for us a public holiday in in the Western world. In fact, we actually don't think much about it. I can't ever remember coming to Pentecost Sunday and thinking to myself, it's Pentecost Sunday. This is the day the Holy Spirit came into the life of the church. I don't think I've ever actually thought about that. And what I want to say today is that I think actually that's a fairly major mistake. I think the church has probably blown it here. We recognize the day, for sure. We do have Pentecost Sunday, but but none of us really know anything about that day. We don't stop and think about Pentecost Sunday, it being that particular day, which scripturally might be a bit odd. Listen to these words from Mark chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so according to John the Baptist, what is the chief difference between the coming of John himself and the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Now, we could say, you could look at the the passage and say, well, it all has to do with power. And I think there's something to that, although we're going to see in a moment that that's linked directly with the Holy Spirit. But the, the last line here is key. I baptize you with water. And up above this, it had talked about the baptism of John being for the forgiveness of sins. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's like John is saying, this is, in fact, the key demarcation between who I am as a prophet, John says, and who he is as Messiah. We automatically jump to the idea that the the, uh, perpetual forgiveness of sins is the big difference between John and Jesus. And there's certainly something to that, too. 
But the coming of the Holy Spirit, at least in the eyes of John, seemed to be as monumental, as big of a difference between himself and Jesus as anything else. Now, it's not just John who says this kind of thing. And so you can look at this passage, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 and verse 8. He gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. And, and by the way, this is happening after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's now in that period of 40 days uh, where he spends time with the apostles and, and teaches them about the kingdom. And it's interesting because I would say if I had 40 days left with the apostles, that the things I would talk about would be the most important things. I'd make sure that those things got covered. So he says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power, see that, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so according to Jesus, the next major event following his death and resurrection is the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. The coming of the Spirit into the lives of Christians. So I want you to look at another passage now, which talks about these very things. John chapter 16, perhaps you're already there. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 14. I'm not going to put these up on the screen. It's a little bit long for that. But if you're looking at your Bible, here's what it says. It says, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Wow. I mean, this language is, is solemn kind of language. This is Jesus making it really clear that it's actually of advantage to the church that Jesus himself leaves and the Spirit comes. Now, just think about what I just said. It is of advantage to the church for Jesus to leave. And on the one hand, we think that can't possibly be. What do you mean it's of advantage to the church for Jesus to go away. But Jesus is the one talking. Jesus is the one who says this. He says that it's vitally important that the the advocate, the paraclete we sometimes refer to him as, the parakletos in Greek. In fact, Jesus essentially says that the Spirit is largely going to take Jesus' place as the direct influence of Christ in our lives, which I find absolutely amazing. Because we typically just don't think in those terms. But this certainly seems to be where Jesus is going. 
So if that's the case, there must be some things that the Spirit is going to do for us. And indeed, there are a host of them. You know, when I, when I teach uh, beginning systematic theology, whether it's at Alberta Bible College or Ambrose University or whatever, when it gets to this particular lecture on the Holy Spirit, I've got a host of bullet points. Like it, it goes on to several different slides talking about all the things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the church and in the Christian. And so in the fall of 2013 and the first half of 2014, we spent about 25 Sunday mornings talking about all the things that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of Christians and in the church. And we, we obviously can't do that this morning, but there are some of these that I quickly want us to list just because the role the Spirit plays is so significant, and especially when it comes to times like these. Here we are in turbulent times, and the Holy Spirit does things in our lives, especially in turbulent times, which I think are particularly relevant. And so here are some things that I think tell us that we are greatly blessed because the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Like, for example, the Holy Spirit is with us abiding with us, indwelling us, and I love this word, forever. One, one of the things I say when I, when I baptize someone, I love saying, and you're being forgiven for your sins and for the Holy Spirit to come and live within you forever. And that's because the text specifically says that. The Bible says that. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you forever. The Holy Spirit will come and be in the lives of those who follow Christ forever. And that means blessing. Well, what does it mean? It means he begins to work in us, and he works in wonderful ways. For example, the Holy Spirit establishes a perspective for Christians that becomes a lifestyle, capable of getting us through the most difficult times. Now, you guys know as well as I do what the fruit of the Spirit are. Let's let's name them, church, okay? Those of you at home, you can do this too, okay? Let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. There's one maybe that comes before that, but goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, okay? Now, we've talked about before how that's not actually a plural gift, but a singular gift. Like in the text, it says in Galatians 5.22, it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit of the Spirit. And then it says that these things, these nine things, add up to this one fruit of the Spirit. And what I want to say this morning is that I think this represents a lifestyle. It represents a perspective, even an attitude about life. And so when these things come to us and the seas are boiling and it's raging and the wind is whipping around, we have a chance to actually have a different perspective than the rest of the world because the Holy Spirit, who imbibes and indwells in us forever, is actually establishing a perspective and a, a lifestyle 
a whole mindset, which is just different than the rest of the world. So those are two reasons that we're greatly blessed by the Spirit. Here's another. The Holy Spirit actually drives the mission of the church that we are still to fulfill through him, even in challenging times. Kevin and I were just talking before we came in this morning just about how, how different things are. And, and we, we even discussed specifically this point. What are we going to do? What, how can the church carry out its mission? How can we be the church in our world as God wants us to be in light of these perilous times? But we still have a mission. We can still be witnesses. We can still carry out this role that God wants us to carry out for him because the Holy Spirit drives the mission of the church. We're not on our own doing this. And so in Acts 1.8, when he says, and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that's just the beginning of the role that the Spirit plays throughout the book of Acts as the Spirit drives the mission of the church. And that's a blessing to us. Fourthly, we are gifted for the building up of the body. You turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans chapter 12 or Ephesians chapter 4, and what you see here are these gift passages. And the gifting passages consistently talk about how we are gifted for the sake of building up the body of Christ. Which means that in the darkest times of our lives, the Spirit comes with His encouragement. We receive this from others, but it's the Spirit working through them that encourages us and extends to us His grace of encouragement. And isn't it true that the Spirit working in us to encourage others is one of the greatest things that becomes encouragement for us? So we encourage others, they encourage us, and there's this mutual encouragement that takes place, even as the Spirit works within each of us to encourage and build up the church. I don't know the things that encourage you right now. Like right right now, if I ask this question, what encourages you? Or what if I said, who encourages you? If there is someone who really is encouraging to you right now, and you'd say, boy, they're gifted with the gift of encouragement. They encourage me. It's because of the Holy Spirit that they encourage you. They are one who is gifted by the Holy Spirit to encourage. And in fact, that encouragement comes as directly from the Spirit as it comes from them. And isn't it a blessing that God sent his Spirit into the world that we might be encouraged in this way? And then lastly, the Holy Spirit is present when we pray. Look at these words from Romans chapter 8. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so it's God's desire that the Holy Spirit be working in our prayer lives. Prayer is not just dependent on you. It's not dependent just on your words. It's not dependent just on your attitude. It's not just dependent on your perspective or how spiritual you you are or whether or not you just got done sinning. The Holy Spirit is present in our prayer lives. 
And it's a beautiful, wonderful blessing and thought to think that when I pray that something's happening between myself and the Holy Spirit and the Father and that God is is hearing those prayers specifically because of the Spirit present in our lives. And if the Spirit is there when we pray, if he enables us to encourage and bless others through his gifting, if he drives us to fulfill God's mission, if he establishes for us a life perspective, a direction and lifestyle blessed by him, if he is dwelling with us forever, even at the darkest times, then the Holy Spirit is certainly one of these great anchor points for us on which we have to depend. I'm just so grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm suggesting this morning is openness. Openness to the Spirit. And I think for each one of us, this is going to look a little bit different. What does it mean in your life for you to be open to the Spirit? It means that we're not in this alone. But the Spirit's work is greatly limited if we ignore him. He can't work near as well in a life that doesn't acknowledge him, that doesn't give way to him, that doesn't trust him, that doesn't proactively access his power, that doesn't throw the anchor over the side, which is the Holy Spirit, and tie up to it so that it can be our docking point and the thing that carries us through. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.17 that the Lord is the Spirit. And I think he wants us to acknowledge this part of himself and to access it, to recognize its presence in our lives. So again, I know what that looks like for you. But I want to ask you this week, as you enter into another week, to pray specifically about the presence of the Spirit in your life. What does this look like for you? What does it mean for the Spirit to be active in your life? And how is the Spirit's presence going to carry you through perhaps some difficult times? Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for not taking more seriously the gifting that we have received from you that comes with the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Spirit strengthens and empowers us, is present in us, is present in our prayers, is present in the mission of the church, gives us peace and comfort and changes our mindset and lifestyle. But, Father, help us to be open to that. Open our hearts uh, that we might let your spirit fully live within us. We pray through Christ. Amen.